the magic number. Hello and welcome to Flintoff, Savage and the Ping Pong Guy. That's me, Matthew Side. Thanks for getting in touch through the week using the hashtag FredSavSide. But now I've got an update. Anyone who's been listening to this podcast will know that Rob and a bit of Fred too rather fancy themselves at table tennis. BBC here, HQ and Salford Keys. They are setting up a head-to-head challenge here at the HQ. Guys, do you now think you've got a chance to do it? Can you back up the talk with some action? Yeah, I think I, I think we can. <laughs> you been practicing? Um, yeah, in my garage, in bit of practice. Yeah, I think it's one one thing, Matthew. Yep. You can't spin the serve. Though. Oh come on, bro! You can't spin the serve. Mate, you can't spin the serve. Back yourself, man. Have you ever, have you ever tried it? Put whatever you want on it, Matthew. It's coming back harder. <laughs> Seriously, have you ever no tried bother. it in a spinning serve? A proper spinning yeah, serve. Yeah, but people fall into the trap of trying to spin it back. No. Yeah, what do you do Go then? For a top, top hand. That spin then. A top hand. A top hand. Backhand. Oh, backhand. Back hand. Back hand over spin. <laughs> tell you what. You send friend. it back a, over the table. Top hand, you know. I, but I'm not. I'm not into these. Well, I can tell. Top I'm, hand. No. All I'm concerned about is this is where my ten thousand hours comes in and this mental strength I keep banging on about. <laughs> I'm just going to knock it on the other side of the table. So we're playing tenth of April. We are going to play either next week or the week after. Here at the BBC, they're going to set up the table in the middle of the atrium. You're going to have people watching over really? the balcony. They've heard a lot about you, Rob. You yeah, said you, that you Matthew. were good. You actually said that you thought you'd beat me. No, I didn't say you that. You said it on BBC. I said, you said you, said said you beat him. You, you said you were beat him. I said I'd take some points. Oh, you've changed your tune. Yeah. Now he's saying no spin serves. Do you want you're, me to play with my left hand? Yourself. But, but, but. <laughs> Back yourself, man. Back you yourself. said top hand earlier. Top hand. I don't care if it's top hand, under hand, side hand. I'm coming back over. Oh, that was, a good, that was a good top hand shot. What is that? <laughs> are you, you going to wear them naughty little shorts you used to wear, Matthew? Wear them, uh, them naughty little table things shirts. And they, your plimsolls. Yeah. That's a good question. I must bring, remember to bring my kit. Oh. I, I want to be. I want to look the part I'm as well as you, taking Matthew. you guys down. What are you going to? What are you going to? What are you going to wear? Over the years, we've heard a lot from you, haven't we? About <laughs> the greatest black box thinking, ten thousand hours. Bounce. Oh my word! Put it into practice, Matthew. The talk's over. Yeah. It's time to put up a shut up, talkers and doers. Yeah. Well, this is it. You are. This is it. Biggest match, biggest head-to-head. Do I play Freddy as well? If I lose, I'll yeah, never There's going to be 30 it. people in there. It's the biggest crowd Matthew's played in front of. What are we going to charge? Ticket prices. Right. Oh, oh. Oh. Right, Robin, then. I'll settle that. I'll sort that. I'll sort the ticket in. Right, looking forward to it. Topic number one, and this is much bigger than sport, the psychology of performing under pressure. And this is my topic. And the reason I pick it is because probably the biggest match of my table tennis career, Olympic Games in Sydney. Four years of preparation. Just before the competition, we went to the Gold Coast for the holding camp. We hired two players to come it's over. Gold Coast? For, you for know, a holding camp? It's yeah. a holiday place. Yeah, but it's where they had their British team set up so that you could acclimatise. Acclimatise? You play indoors? You're inside! On that, <laughs> they organised a, a venue for me to practice which had the same floor and the same lighting, same level of luxe as in the competition I'm sorry, venue. I'm sorry, but I spent half my time on this podcast having to go at footballers for being pampered.
Bradford. It's nothing compared <laughs> to table tennis. That's preparation. We've got on the same floor, on the same table. Oh, how many dimples is your back got? <laughs> we also, you'll love that, we we hired two people to come over, one from Denmark, one Brit, left-handers. Well, like sparring partners. The, yeah, sparring partners. Same style as the German who I was playing in my first match. Really? This is the Olympic Games. It's yeah. four years of preparation. And then we go into the venue and I'm playing <laughs> this German. First match... <laughs> And the venue competition manager came over. He said, this is going out live on the BBC. And I thought of my parents watching, my first coach. And I went through the curtains into the venue. Tonight, I'm going to be Skeletor. No. (laughs) (laughs) And the coach, he said to me, this is the the guy I'd worked with for four years. He said, what happens over the course of the next 45 minutes will determine whether the last four years were a waste of time or oh, not. What a really? That so is. He was trying to inspire me, but it had totally the opposite effect. And I went out there, I got incredibly nervous. I was so desperate to do well that I couldn't hold it together. I lost 21-2. No. No one loses 21-2. 21-2. It was over in 30 two. minutes. And a few years later, when The One Show, they did this special on performance psychology just before the London Olympics in 2012 because they're saying, are we going to be able to deal with the pressure? Will our athletes choke? They phoned me up and said, would you front really? it for no us? Way. So deep humiliation. I want to get into how... I'm, I'm, hang on a minute, wow. Matthew. Hang on a minute. I'm worried now about this game we're playing. All of a sudden, <laughs> you're talking about choking and this, that and the other. You've got no chance against us two. You've I'm got no... Gonna, you'll choke. I'm not going to choke in the I'm BBC just say to you, This I'm, was the Olympic Games. This is far <laughs> bigger. This is far bigger. I'm just going to say to you before you go on, you know what, Matthew? The next ten minutes, you'll be fine. <laughs> the past four years, and you, you oh, you, you, you have to get a mop out. You'll wet your pants, eh? But let me ask you guys. So I want to talk a bit about what kind of tools people can use to perform while under pressure. Because it's not just about sport. You know, you might have a big job interview. You've got to give a speech at work or a big pitch to a client or you're chanting up the girl of your dreams or the boy of your dreams. Being able to deliver under pressure is not easy to do. Choking, I think, is quite a common thing when people get nervous. Certainly happened to Did me. Did you, you define it as choking? Ch- I totally choked. choked. It's like when you have I, a speech I, I, and you can't can, think of what you're going to say. Can you put it into words? Yes. If, if you now think of how you felt walking into that, your coach has just said, well, this is four years' work now. Yeah. Tell me how you right. felt. I, 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 can, I think I can explain that. Every single shot I'm playing, I'm thinking to myself, I want to get this on the table. I want to position it in the right place. So instead of doing it instinctively, automatically, just doing it, I was overthinking. I was so, it was like paralysis by analysis. I was so keen to do what I'd spent a lifetime preparing to do. I just couldn't do it. I was behind the game. You I, shake I lost it. my my, my um, there was a little tremor because I, I remember putting my bat down on the table during the first game and thinking, "What is going wrong here?" It was like a nightmare. It was horrible. And there are thousands of people watching. And I thousands put my, in the venue and millions around the world. Believe it or not, I put my bat on the table and there was a little tremor in my hand. Really, and I just couldn't control it. So I want to ask you, what what was the, the worst moment? Have you ever had a choking experience? Yes. Not very often. Not very often. I bottled it. I genuinely bottled it, right? I, as a player, I used to love the big moments in a game. Yeah. You know, if, if I'm going to bat and we're 30 for five or 30 for four, get me in there. I'm ready for this. This is If, you, if we're 500 for four and I'm coming into bat, don't even think about it. I'm not interested. But... This all came unstuck in 2005 yeah. in the Ashes. All right, we've beaten everyone in the world building up to this. I've 
coming up to playing all right. I was playing well. I performed well against everyone building up to this point. We then turn up at Lords. I'd never played an Ashes Test match. I've never experienced the build-up. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching it. I'm seeing people coming up to me everywhere. Come on, Fred, let's have a bit of this. Come on, Ashes, we can do it. We can do it. All these years, we can do it. All the press were writing up. If England are going to win the Ashes, it's going to be now. They were writing me up, talking me up. And I was always very good at not worrying about it. Yeah. I just look after my own game. I can't affect what people are saying. I can't. All I can affect is what I do. Yeah. But I started to believe it. I started to believe my own press. I started to believe the importance of this mm-hmm. game of cricket. And it is just a game of cricket. And the pressure, I'd never felt pressure like it. It was like just on top of me. Mm-hmm. We bowled first in that test match. I got a wicket pretty early on. and But it wasn't me bowling. My eyes had gone. I was angry. I wanted to do everything. We mm-hmm. came to bat in the first innings. And I've got me spot at wards by the dressing room window onto the balcony, and I'm sat there. Usually, I'll be out the back watching a bit of TV, having a laugh with Harmy mm-hmm. in my underpants, and then when it's my turn to bat, or next in, I will then get changed and sort of switch on, but not really. Yep. This time, I'm just sat in my chair. I couldn't move. I'm sat in my chair. We've like, lost a couple of wickets. Yeah. I'd froze, genuinely yep. froze, and I'm sat there, and nothing I could speak about, I could not put it into any sense. I was thinking... Oh, all these people are it's against Australia who have not won for 20 odd years. I'm going to bat against Warren. I'm going to bat against McGrath. Ricky Ponting's out there. My mum and dad are watching. There's that big press box. Yeah. Everyone's here. And I can't do it. Yeah. I can't do it. And I remember walking out to bat that day. I walked out to bat the way in which I always did. I put my helmet on once I got out there. And all I, I was just walking out. And usually, as you walk out to bat, I felt alive. I felt this is a stage. This is where I want to be. But not today. I walked out, I skulked, I took guard. I looked around the field. (laughs) Usually, I look around, I think, right, if he bowls it, I'm going to smash him through there. I can see the boundary, that's where it's going. I just saw white fielders in I just saw fielders everywhere. It was like, whites everywhere. How am I going to do this? I didn't get any runs. I came off. I sat in my chair. I didn't know what to do. So I decided, after that test match, I had a week off. I went to Devon with a family. Mm -hmm. Didn't touch a bat, didn't touch a ball. I thought, you know what? Not a drink. I had a few, <laughs> I had a few and a few cigars, and I thought I play this for fun. What yeah. am I doing? I want to play in the Ashes. I've never played in the Ashes. If I am gonna fail, I'm gonna do it on my terms. Brilliant. Nobody else's. Yeah. And then that next Test match, you know, you talk about margins, mm. marginal gains. Yeah. I went out to bat. I got off the mark against Shane Warne. I thought the first first ball he gives me is to have a go at. I'm having a dip, and he bowled one. And it was full. It should have gone for six. But I've got halfway there and I, I started to pull out a little bit. And I've hit it and I thought, I'm getting out here. I'm getting caught mid-off. And it just by an inch went over mid-off's jumping hand. Michael Kasperovich and went for four. Uh-huh. And then after that, I was off. Right. I was off. But talk about choking. I just I just hated it. I hated it. It's a, it's a horrible experience. Robbie? I suppose the only time was um, Wales, Russia, Second leg, nil nil in Moscow to qualify for the for the Euros. Um, we had a great qualifying campaign. We beat Italy. We won our first four games. Then we lost a few, but we, we finished in um, second place and then went into the playoff. Went to Moscow. You would say done the hard work. Got nil nil draw. Brought them back to Millennium Stadium. You know, so that week, well, three days before the second leg. So that week, I had number plates on my car. We stayed at the Vale of Glamorgan Hotel. I had my number plates made up. 
Wales for the Euros in the little right underneath the, the, the things. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so every, I know, what a fool. So, it, so the car's parked by reception. I don't know what to say. No, I don't either. <laughs> I really don't. So, you know, you can have these number plates. I defend made. you. You have the little writing underneath. It was Wales for the Euros. Mm-hmm. It was on the news. There was camera crews. There was everything. We were going to be the first team since 19, um, um, the 50s to yeah. qualify for a major tournament. We had gigs. We had Bellamy. We had Arts. We had Gary Speed. We had a good, good team. We had Mark Hughes, the legend as a manager. So the game comes on the bus. You know, all the families gathering reception before the game. It was yeah. hundreds of people lying in the street yeah. going into the Millennium Stadium. This is it. We're in our blazers. We're in our suits. This is it. On the bus... We had Hugh Edwards. They made a film. Hugh Edwards, the, the Welsh newsreader, with a anthem Who? on. Hugh Edwards. He reads the ten o'clock news. Hugh Edwards. You know the guy. Oh yeah, ten o'clock news. Took over from Mark the, Austin. Yeah. Oh, that's no. <laughs> um, oh. So we're on the bus. We're on, we're on the bus. He's giving a speech out, showing clips of flying tackles. You know, people with a dragon on their faces, yeah. and it was amazing. And we're ready. We're ready. Anyway. Standing there for the National Anthem. I couldn't feel my legs. They were shaking. I was like looking around. It was, it was, this is it. Honestly, for the first five to 10 minutes, I could not move. So I, interesting. I couldn't move. I couldn't move. My heart was pounding out my chest. Yeah. And I was trying to get the ball, but my legs weren't like they were mine. It was the most bizarre it was feeling. Really? Do you what? Know, did they have a better touch? <laughs> <laughs> That's extremely harsh, you know, Andrew. Well, I'm joking. Bob, you no, don't, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Someone saying there's a dodgy car in a car park with a number plate saying Wales. But I've never experienced before the feeling of yeah. you go to you say oh, it's, it's enjoyment. It's it's you cannot explain it. But it's you know, horrible. The, the Sydney experience for me was probably the worst of my life. But in some ways, it had a good effect because yeah. it made me think more about psychology and. You both mentioned, Freddie, you're on the balcony at Lord's and you feel paralysed. You talked about freezing. Yeah. And have you heard of this thing, the fight, flight, freeze yeah. response? No. You, you throw a rat into a room yeah. and it will freeze because it's trying to evade the detection of a predator. If you go towards the rat, it will flee into the corner. If you corner it, it will fight. That's the kind of an evolved response. Really? We, share, we share. It's a very ancient evolutionary response that we share with reptiles and well, other so mammals. Uh, so, you freeze. And, and so when you're confronted by danger, yeah. the first thing you want to do, your instinctive response is to freeze or to get out of there or in, in extremists to fight. So my take on this is that, of course, that was a sensible thing for our ancestors when they were coming up against mm. dinosaurs and predators. But danger today is not a predator. It's a threat to ego or it's having to perform in front of a lot of different people. In those circumstances, this instinct is a disaster because if you freeze, you can't move around the crease. You can't move around the football pitch. If you, if you, you know, Think about when you've got a big match or a big speech and you want to get out of there, don't you? Everything in your body is saying, flee, flee, danger. But you can't perform if you're not actually in the venue. But it's the, the, the strange thing, I've experienced that. I was better afterwards because I'd experienced it. And then... I, I did see a sports psychologist called Jamie Edwards, little fella. Yep. He was in the garden and was bowling, going through my bowling action. And it was more about body language and looking up and going through it, playing everything through in my mind. And it, 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 was, it was such a strange experience to be in that position where I was, mm. I was frozen. Because I, I say I prided myself on them, on them big moments in it, matches. It, but do, you know, do you know the funny thing was that every time I played cricket or every time now I'm put in a position... Yeah. I'm not sure that I can do it. I ask so many questions of myself. 
as a cricketer every day of the week. I didn't mind questioning myself. I really didn't. Because as long as the answer back was positive, mm -hmm. that's fine. Mm -hmm. It was when I questioned myself in that test match and I genuinely did not know if I could do it. That was the most scurry thing. Yeah. And now I, I do what TV and yeah. that and I'm in a strange situation. But did you I was nervous before you're on live television? No. No. Because you're, you're okay. do you know what? It sounds really bad, but no. Because all I wanted to do every time I played cricket, I got nervous. But then I like being nervous. I love being nervous. I love that feeling in my belly. I love it. I'm walking out. Because one, it means you're doing something that you love, you're passionate about, you really want to do well. And when I was standing there and the ball was running to ball, I loved that feeling. But I can't replicate that. And on TV, I'm so thankful that I'm working mm -hmm. and I want to do it to the best of my ability, but it doesn't stir them emotions I had when I was playing cricket. Mm -hmm. um, and nothing ever will. But when you talk about the fighting and fighting and all that stuff... Boxing when I boxed, yeah, I had sparring sessions when I just stood there and got punched because I froze, yeah. Mm. And then I got in the ring at the Manchester Arena, I went complete opposite way. <laughs> I was rubbish because I just wanted to knock this yep. fellow out. I'd fight and I just lost all control yep. of my yep. senses, yep. my yep. arms, yep. my yep. legs, and I was windmilling. That the other time was see I think on that occasion you mentioned the ashes in my case because I wanted it so so much, mm. that's why I think I froze, yeah. Match of the day, when I was on it mm -hmm. the first time, you watched this iconic show as a kid, yeah. and I was on it as a pundit. You know, some people might say I was good, some a lot of people say I was bad, but I was on, I was in that chair, and you're sitting there, and you what you'll do half an hour before, you do your analysis, and they'll show you the clips. Mm -hmm. so you have a screen, and you'll go through it in your head, and then that's your bit. So you know, for instance, if the clip was on, just say Liverpool Man U, and Gary would ask you a question, say, Robbie, today um, Van Nistroy played well, blah, blah, blah. So I would then say, in rehearsal, I would say, when I get to this word, so I'd say, yeah, Van Nistroy played well, and when he smashed, so when they got to the word smashed, they would bring the analysis in. Yep. You know, but on my first one, I'm sitting there, the music started, and you sit in the chair next to Alan Hansen, you know, who was, who was a legendary pundit, mm -hmm. and you're on, oh. and then it's time for your analysis. Well, Seriously, you freeze. I, I was, I was. Could I you remember the think. words? I couldn't think. I couldn't think of the words. I didn't know what was coming in. I, <laughs> really? I panicked. It was horrendous, and I could feel myself sweating, lifting my armpits on. Don't wear a blue shirt. It was no, never big blue. Never light blue. Never. Seriously, Savage. Never. But when that music starts and you yeah. forget your words, say it's because it was that nerve wracking. It's horrible. Did you? Sorry, sorry, Matthew. The only strange thing is when I say I don't get nervous for TV now, I think it's because I'm a bit older. Yeah. I'm nearly 40, and I, I look back, and do you know the worst thing about being a professional sportsman is timing. The timing of your career is completely wrong. Yeah, You're meant to know everything yeah. and be at your best when you're in your mid-20s, and you just are not. Yeah. Any other profession. Yeah. If I was a surgeon so or a doctor, I'd be 50. I'd have all this life experience behind me, and then I'd be able to implement it into my profession. In sport, you don't get that opportunity. Yeah. When I'm more comfortable with myself, I go on telly, I go on telly. Yeah. But when I was younger, oh my word, I wish I had this head now. Something you said, well, Fred, about... Rob, well, you know what I mean, Rob. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. So, something you said earlier that after that disaster in the ashes, you went away and you said to yourself, you know, it's only a game. You were taking the pressure off. And I used a tool after that disaster in Sydney. Whenever I played, you know, often you think about the worst thing that could happen. You know, if I lose, 
and I lose badly, I'm going to lose my funding from the lottery. And if I lose my funding from the lottery, I can't afford the mortgage. And if I can't afford the mortgage, and I have to move out. And if I move out of my own place, my girlfriend's going to leave me. If my girlfriend leaves me, my parents are going to disown me. I've lost my girlfriend, I've lost my place, I've lost my parents, I'm going to turn to alcohol. And in your mind, you're about to play the biggest so match of your life and you're living in a cardboard box at the local roundabout. Yeah. And this yeah. emotional yeah. escalation, thinking about the worst-case scenario, I tried to stop that happening. And you'll every time I went out to play and I was thinking, what if, what if, what if, I'd say to myself, win or lose, my parents will still love me. Yeah. Now, my no, parents I, I, regard that as quite an optimistic claim, but do you see what I mean? It's taking the pressure off. It's not just a game. When you say it's only a game, I never thought like when I played, it's only a game. If no, I you didn't. You, you build it up too much. I, it's, uh, it was more than a game for yeah. me. But, but one, more one, than a game. But one thing which now I don't have, mm. which I had when I was a player, I don't have fear of failure. Well, I don't. I'm not a failure. Yeah. You've no, got that, you've I'm, got that I'm confidence. Not, I'm not yeah. a failure. No. Whatever I do now, I might do some bad stuff. You're not I failure. might make a dodgy TV programme or I might have a bad podcast or <laughs> I might say the wrong thing on telly. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, but what a Who cares? Who's bothered? Yeah. I'll you go know. home, I'll hug my kids and yeah. I'll have dinner with missus and I'll get up tomorrow morning and yeah. the sun comes up. Who cares? Do you know what? I think that's so powerful. I wish I had that if when you... I was younger. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. relate to that yeah. so powerfully. But do you know what, Fred? Throws to a question to, to Robbie because... The negative consequences of messing up when you take a penalty for your national team. You could end up on the back page of the newspaper, vilified. Remember when Waddle and Pierce missed those penalties? Yeah. Or, or when penalties. Southgate did, he was turned Shocking into a laughing stock on the Pizza Hut commercial. He cashed in. He got but think about that, Robbie. Penalty. That's probably the most intense pressure. Yeah, that a you sport. cannot What's explain. it like? What, so, what are you doing? Tell me, what, what's it like? Have you ever taken it in high-stakes situation? Yeah. Tell me about the walk from the halfway line oh, to yes. the penalty spot. So, FA Cup, Arsenal. Great yeah. Arsenal side. Man O'Neill. Um, we drew nil-nil at um, Highbury. And then brought him back to Filbert Street, drew nil-nil, nil-nil next time. Tim Flowers was brilliant on that occasion. Um, and then Martin O'Neill changed the, sub- changed the goalkeeper with about four minutes left, brought on pa- Peggy Arfixed, right? Who? So, Peggy <laughs> Arfixed. Arfixed? Yeah. yeah. Peggy? Peggy, yeah. French goalkeeper, right? Brought him on, inspired. So I was against David Seaman, and I've got to say, I, was, I think I was third up. And that walk from the halfway line, full house, your heart is... Pounded, and I just thought I knew exactly where I was going to put it. So I walk it up. You can hear the Arsenal fans booing, the Leicester fans cheering. I was bouncing the ball, put the ball down, heart racing, and then I knew exactly where I was going to put it. And I, even if he went that way, I was going that way. Right. I made my mind up, mm-hmm. and luckily for me, I put it in the bottom corner. You smashed it in. Sm- smashed it in. Done the same in the quarter final against I think it was Mike Taylor Van der Sar, hmm. but I missed one for Blackburn against Van der Sar. Same place. He went the right way, saved it. Yeah. But I knew in my own head I did nothing wrong yeah. because I knew if I go that way and he goes that way, it's a good save, and it was a good save. So I knew I didn't change and mess, so I could live with myself. Can I just ask you to finish it off? You hear sports psychologists and top athletes talking about how before they go out to play, they'll go into a quiet room and they'll do imagery or they'll have certain things they say to themselves or they have particular routines in order to get into the zone. Um, Robbie, did you? What was your routine? What was your pre-match routine? So um, I would have a fry-up. Early in the morning, fry up a home get a state or home game, for yeah. instance. A fry up in the morning, then I should drive to the game um, with my family. Wouldn't speak in the car, wouldn't speak at all. Mm-hmm. Um, get to the game, 
two hours before, have a hot bath, mm-hmm. boiling hot bath, um, have a massage. Boiling? Yeah, boiling, like boiling, boiling really like hot. proper hot to get your muscles warm. Um, don't know why, just sat in the bath. Did you get your hair wet or did you not? No, 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 no. Think so. no. Um, and then do the warm up and then not speak to anyone. I was captain as well. Uh-huh. I was in my own zone, my right. own thing. Didn't like the music on the dressing room, but people had it on. I didn't listen to it, didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, and then just focused, yeah. nervous. I, my heart used to pound before a game. Wow. Pound, like horrendous. Fred, did, just, you, have, did you have up, a routine? Turn, just turn up. But you're saying that when you would bat, that you would I walked, often go... I walked out the same way every time. And put your helmet on as you walked that, that, that wasn't really superstition. That was, it was habit. I, yeah. And also, David Lloyd Bumble was my coach when I was a kid. And then he said, when you walk out to bat, let everyone see you. Don't hide behind your helmet. Look mm. him in the eye, look at him. Yeah. Go and have a look around at him. Yeah. So I did that. Yeah. But I didn't. No, I, I didn't have any rituals. I didn't have what I turned up. I get changed. And then when I walk out and do something, I'll switch on. There was there was no real. I put my kit. You on. put a pad on different. Or I put I, I I probably put my kit on the same way every time. Yeah, not superstitious. But well, that was because it's yeah. the easiest way to do it. Yeah. You're listening to a BBC Five Live podcast. Flint off, Savage, and the Ping Pong Guy. If you like this, you might also like this. The Five Live Football Daily. Don't forget you can continue the footballing conversation on social media. Just search for at Five Live Sport. To find out more about our range of podcasts, click, tap or swipe bbc.co.uk slash five live. Let's go on to topic number two. And I think this probably is the biggest fear for any professional sports person. Getting injured, getting a long-term injury, so you're denied the opportunity to do the thing you love doing. Robbie, this is your topic. What's your take on it? Yeah, we 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 spoke in a previous podcast about being uh, reliant on painkillers, you yeah. know, uh, and but we you know we we won't go there. But I want to talk about what's it like, the mental state, the psychology of having a long-term injury, because yeah. we were talking as well, weren't we, about one of Freddie's rants on the ticket prices in a previous show that would you give money? back to the club to enable fans to have cheaper ticket prices. Yep. This is the only time in my life I would give money back to a football club so I could play quicker. You know, I broke my leg. I broke my leg. Um, I was out for seven months, right? Seven months. And if somebody would have said to me then, right, that realisation of it was Watford away, mm. um, I went in for the tackle. And to be fair, it was my own fault mm-hmm. because a guy called Al Bangora, 30 seconds earlier, I thought, it's my head, he tried to do me. I thought he tried to do me. Um, I might be wrong, I might be right. He'll have his own version, I'll have mine. Uh, he probably didn't, but it was just me. My head had gone. Yep. So next time the ball was there to be won, I've, I've never intentionally gone onto a football pitch to, to break somebody's leg to hurt anybody. I've never have, and that's all I can say. Um, yep. Majority of footballers be exactly the same. Mm. The next time the ball was there to be won, I thought, right, I'm going to smash him. Yeah, Not... I didn't want to hurt him. I just wanted to smash everything, take him the ball, because I thought 30 seconds previous, he'd gone for me. So he went in with a straight leg, and I've kicked it open-footed, and I had a compound fracture in my leg. Instantly, oh. it was the most horrendous pain, sharp pain. And do you know what? There's a picture of me on, on, on the internet. internet. I'm just sitting on the floor, guys' clothes, holding my shin. You know, very similar to Seamus Coleman uh, the yep. other night. And yep. And it was a very similar challenge, you know, because Seamus Coleman was open-footed, went and sm- kicked the ball, and Neil Taylor, bad tackle, caught him. You know, so that was that... Re- Do you know what? For me, it was that realisation then, because the week before, Andre Uye had broken his leg at yep. Man City. I was captain of Blackburn. 
And it was a realisation of, I've broke my leg. And it wasn't, oh, no, what am I going to do? It was, I'm going to be out for seven, eight, nine months. Is my career over? Wow. And it was. Well, even when you was on that moment, knew, on the grass, when you, you'd done the four, physios there, that's yeah. what was going for you. I head. thought, how long about four? Because I've seen, as a sportsman, you know, we've seen players going through that. And this might be hard to say, but when you're injured at a football club, in, in, in my case, you've forgotten about. Yeah. You're not wanted. Yeah. You know, you're in a treatment room for you're in at eight o'clock, and this, this is people have got to understand this is perspective of our lives. You know, when I say eight o'clock till five, that's a normal life for a lot of people. Mm. But for us, as a footballer, an hour a day, laughing and joking, training, going out, enjoying yourself. You're in at eight, swimming. Then you got recovery. Then you got physio. Then you've got hours and hours of rehabilitation. Yeah. You don't want to be there. You become miserable. Depression sets in because you're thinking. What if I'm ever going to be the same again? Yeah. All these psychological things come through you. You're seeing the lads out training. Yeah. It takes you back to when I was a kid. You know, I was the first one always called in by my dad as a as a as a kid. When it went dark, I had to come in. So we we lived in a cul-de-sac, and we went allowed past the the, the pine close signs. It was called pine close, and there was two signs at the end of the road. Went allowed past there, and when it went dark, I had to come in. And I remember I used to go in the bath and then we had a chair in the window and I used to sit in the chair looking out at the, the older lads still out when it was yeah, dark. Yeah. And it was, that was the same realisation when I was 30 because that image of the lads enjoying themselves, coming at 12, get a shower, get off home, yeah. you're still there at 5, 6 you know, o'clock. But the, it's horrible. But the strange thing is you, you lose all sense of perspective. Yeah. You know, you're talking about getting injured and let's be honest, you're going to walk again, you're going to be fine. You're going to miss a bit of sport or whatever you're playing, but it just doesn't seem like that to you, does it? No. You know, there's so many not. things going on around the world and there's so many people who experience real hardship every day. Yeah. You're a footballer, you're a cricketer who can't do what they want to do, but you just lose all that perspective. It's like the worst thing that could ever happen. I, mm. I had surgery, what, 10, 12 times in the last four or five years of my career. And it was, it was awful because I, I knew that I'd play for three, three months, eight weeks, and then during them eight weeks, I'd start feeling me near my ankle, and then you got that yeah. realization: how long is this going to last for? And in the end, like the psychology of it was strange because I didn't even care who I was playing against. Hmm. I could be playing against the best person in the world, the worst person in the world. It was never about them. This is about me, yeah. and this is how much pain can I take till I have to give in? Because I know when I give in, I'm going to be under the surgeon's knife. I'm going to be sat at home on a couch for the next six weeks doing no, and then the rehabilitation starts again. And it, you're right, Robbie. It is the loneliest, loneliest yeah, place is, ever. Because yeah. you got on TV, the lads are playing, yeah. they're doing well. You're not a part of it. You're seeing somebody else, and you want them to win. You want them to do well. Of course you do. But is that thing I nagging, a, yeah. nagging away at you, thinking, oh, they're, they're doing this without me? John, you know, Fred, I was. It's a great point that because I remember um, we were in the semi-final, Blackburn Rovers. I was made captain because Ryan Nelson was injured. Believe it or not. And then I was made captain. Andre who broke his leg in my first game as captain. The second game in my captaincy of Blackburn, mm. I broke my leg. Mm. That season, we played Bayer Leverkusen. I think it was the last 16 or the quarterfinal of the, of, the, of the Europa League. I missed that after scoring a couple of goals in Europe as well for Blackburn. Then we had a semi-final Old Trafford against Chelsea. And I remember sitting there, and I, and I swear, and this might sound horrible, might sound wrong, but it was just me. I was sitting in the Matterday studio... Watching the game, thinking, if we win, if we win this game, 
I'm going to have to go through, this is me being selfish, yeah. seeing the lads, yeah. trying their new suits. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see the lads with a build-up to the game. And you're just forgotten about. Yeah. You were the hero yeah. four months ago. And there was a point in that game, extra time, the ball was in the air, Gams Ped- Morton Gams Pedersen back post, he had to score. Last minute, it was the 119th minute of, of, of the game, 120 minutes obviously with extra time. If he scores... Blackburn would have been in the final. And I remember that ball going over and I was in my head, I thinking, please don't score. Yeah. Please. And I, you I, miss the final. I, because even though the lads would get there and the manager and every, all the fans, you, you wouldn't get it. in my head, I, and I, I, I might be wrong to say this, no. but I was thinking, please, please, please don't score. And when he missed, I remember inside, I was like so delighted. But then we lost. I think Frank Lampard scored 2-1. And to see the lads after, I felt such a, Mm. idiot because the devastation the chairman John Williams might use all my mates in my head for that split second I knew if he'd have scored it being injured I'd have to gone through all that build up to the cup final you know on the TV the bus ride and you're just not wanted you're just not part of it it's, I, 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 it's, do you mean I, I, I've never said this but I had something very similar um, were 2009 it's my swan song it's my last series. I'm playing against Australia. After the first test at Lords of 2009, we won. During that test, or before I announced my retirement from test cricket, I realised that I'm not going to be able to do it for much longer. Mm. So we played the next one at Warwickshire. We we drew. Mm. We turn up at Headingley. Now, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm really struggling. I've turned up for training. I've not had any injections. I've not had any meds. I want a couple of days off. And I couldn't perform in practice. So I've said I can't do it. But I said I'll be fine for the game because I'll get all my drugs and I'll get drugged up. Everything's good. Andy Fowler said, no, you're not playing. And I was hang on a minute, mate. I'm saying I can play. I can play in this. I will go through whatever's what we need. I'm telling you I can play. And he said, no, you're not playing. So I was like, what? You can't do this without me. You know, <laughs> yeah. what's, what's going on here? So that night, day before a game, I phoned the physio up, Dave Roberts Rooster, who treated my head more than my body for six years. We lived together. We traveled together. We did everything together because he looked after me so well. Mm-hmm. I phoned him. I said, he's not letting me play. Let's go, can I meet in the pub near you? Let's go for a few pints. I just need someone to talk to. So I got a taxi from Leeds to near Blackburn, where he lives. We sat in the pub at about 10 pints, felt better about life. And I got back to Leeds Hotel about half two in the morning. There was a fire alarm going off. Everyone stood outside <laughs> and I've rocked up. Oh, lads, yeah, fine. And then the next day, I didn't go in normal time. I should have done really. I should have gone in normal time and been around, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't face being in there because I wasn't playing. So I went and I picked my bag up and got in the car and drove off. And I'm driving down out of Leeds and I got TMS on. And we lost one wicket. We lost two wickets, three wickets. I think it was about six or seven down before lunch in an Ashes test against Australia. And I'm a bit embarrassed to say this. Rather than thinking, come on, that's really up. I said, I'm thinking that'll teach you. Yeah. That'll yeah. teach you. You think yeah. you can do this without me? Yeah. That'll teach you. And I, a part of me, and I hate myself because yeah. this is not what I'm like. I enjoy other people's success. I really do. Mm. I'm not that insecure in myself that I can't appreciate other people. Yeah. But for that instance, yeah. someone had told me, you can't play, you're not playing, we don't want you. And it was, you know what, screw you what? Go on, then go and get bowled out you know, for 90. Yeah. On, it's, it's a horrible thing I'll to admit. I'll be back next week. We'll I, I, win. I, I, it's so honest of you, and I can relate to it. I got this hip injury in my mid-twenties. British number one at the time. And I was what number were you? Number one. You mentioned that many times number, 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 number one for ten years. And <laughs> I was out for three months. 
And I thought, you know what? That's going to jeopardise my England number one ranking, my world ranking. And the number two, Alan Cook, is playing for England in an international competition. One of my teammates, a guy I train with, and what am I thinking to myself? I hope he loses. Yeah, terrible. Otherwise, he's going to get computer ranking points and he might yeah. overtake me. It's amazing. Just going back to the injury thing, you know, it kind of makes me understand how devastating unemployment can be. Because when you want yeah. to play table, you, you want to be out there training. I, I wasn't allowed even to do rehab. They said just take three months completely off because you keep inflaming the, the problem in your left hip. Yeah. Do nothing for three months. Just relax. I couldn't train. I couldn't go and play competitions. My whole identity was bound up in table tennis. And I'd sit in my flat. And you know what? Going out and posting a letter felt like a massive job. It was like, oh, my goodness, I have to get out. You just become so lethargic. And I can understand people, if they've been unemployed for three, four months, how they begin to lose the energy and the impetus to get things done. But, you know, we, 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 touched, on it. we touched on it before about mental health. And I've been quite open about talking about depression and various things. Yeah. And I think... You know, I, I'm not quite sure for me when it started. You know, I look back at when I was younger, but I'm sure that in that period when I was getting injured, the damage it caused on my body was one thing. Where I can't run now, which I can, I'm not too fussed about. I don't like running, <laughs> but men mentally, I think the yeah. damage it did to me mentally is something which I live with now. Mm. You know yeah. that that feeling of being up here to being crashed down yep. to not being able to do the one thing you love the soul searching the questioning yep. each time the the amount of energy and effort it took to come back and I, i'm not after the sympathy here because i wanted to do it but i think the lasting impact it's had yep. mentally is far more than it ever has done physically mm. you know i'm fine but mentally God, you know I being a hypochond I, I was a, the funny thing is i'm a hypochondriac but it wasn't in terms of football and injuries it was in my health in general yeah you know if i've got a Headache, or if uh, you know, I think I think there's something on my head. If I've got head or hair, <laughs> you know, well, but I, I am, oof. I am a don't go there, Matthew. Yeah. Please, I'm a hypochondriac because you know why? This is the God's honest truth. Not in terms of if I broke my leg, I broke my neck when I play football. You know, I had... you broke your neck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, I had water in my mouth. Then it was spattered out. <laughs> you broke your neck. What? Carrying that air around? <laughs> The gravity, <laughs> <laughs> but it's windy. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, but that, that didn't bother me. I had, I had my hip, the bone taken from my hip, um, put into my neck. But stuff like that didn't didn't bother me in terms of because I knew I'd get, I would get back to a point. Do you know what I mean the thing was being a hypochondriac in, in life with my health is because mm. do you know what I've been so lucky and I've been so you know I can't believe sitting here still like. You know, I'm with great people. You know, I'm one of the best pals with a cricketing legend. I mean, you're all right as well, Matthew. But why me? Why me? Why has my life gone like this in yep. terms of, you know, that kid growing up in Wrexham? I played Premier League football, played international football. I've got great kids, great wife. You know, I've been fortunate, you know, to have a nice car now and again. And, and do you know what I mean? Stuff like that. You know, maybe <laughs> every boy dreams of. I don't yeah, mind yeah, saying it. It's karma, Rob. It's karma. You're a good but, lad. But. My my thinking and is, if I get something wrong to me, for me, it can't all go this good for me. Yeah, yeah. Something's gonna happen. This yeah. is gonna go wrong. And I, you got a good point. Do you know what I mean? It's like that's what I'm thinking in my head every day. I can see the controller at five live outside with your P forty five. You mentioned put a balance back. You, you mentioned go wrong. You, you, you mentioned that that how down you'd got during that injury. Yeah. Horrendous. How low did it get for you? Horrendous. You asked. We spoke about my wife before. How, you know, we talked about when we lost the game. You imagine being my wife when I was injured. Mm. 
You know, it was horrendous. It was horrendous. I lost weight. I had no energy. I had nothing, nothing. I was sulking. I felt sorry for myself. And it was low, low. You know, I remember being on, the, on Tremadol, being sick every day because of the pain in my leg. It made, it made me feel a bit dizzy. Yeah. Horrible. And yeah. I'm thinking, I've got to now learn to walk again. Yeah. I had to learn to walk again. And I'm thinking, seeing the lads outside laughing and joking, coming in, yeah. you know, you're going for your you're going for your lunch. You you you're limping you and you know the lads are taking the mick at you, which raise your spirits. But mm. you're thinking, I'm never going to be like again, and it's over. It's over. It's horrible. And being injured as long term. So Seamus Coleman now. Yeah. You know, I remember when um um Luke Shaw done it done yep. broke his leg. Yep. I I rung him and said, listen, if you want any advice, I've done the same thing. Pick up the phone, and he was really, really grateful. I'll do the same as Seamus Coleman, mm. and I don't want that publicised. Well, I might well. You're doing I, it now. Yeah, that's I mean, but do you know what I mean? That, it's going to be the name uh, of the podcast. But, but my experience, my experience. <laughs> Can we cut that bit out then, please? Yeah, but my experience. <laughs> what do you mean, no, Rob. <laughs> because you know, Freddie, when I'd done it, when I'd done it with my leg, yeah. if somebody would have phoned me, it'd be through the same thing yeah. and yeah. said, because if you've got a pain at week three or four, is that right? I'd like to know yeah. that week when yeah. you're going back. Is that right? If somebody's been through that, if I'd have had a, something to look at and for, to form who's been through the same thing, would it help me? Do you, know, do you know the one thing like we touched on, depression and things? Yeah. Now, when, when I was injured, and I, when you talk about moods, obviously you got when you're happy and everything's going well, which is one thing. And then on the flip side of that, do you know when you, you're upset and everything's going badly? I can handle that as well because there's a way yeah. out. Yeah. It's this... And I, it's probably it, this is what it's probably like to have depression. Right, I do. So it's it's a numbness. Yeah, it's a numbness. It's it's an emotion which you can't explain. You just sit there. The world goes on around you. Everyone's having conversations. You can't think of anything to say. You don't feel you don't feel anything towards whatever you're doing, whatever you're watching, whoever you're yeah. with. Yeah. And for me, that that's what I felt when I was injured. And the yeah. hardest part yeah. for me was. In, when I talk about the opposition, it was the fact that I couldn't beat myself. That was yeah. the one thing. Yeah. Actually, you beat yourself. Yeah. And I remember after my last operation, I had an osteotomy, which is where they snap your leg, they straighten it. I've got a clamp separating my knee joints. And I was quite blasé about operations because I'd had so many. And I was in the Lister Hospital in London, and I woke up, and I'd never been in so much pain. And I could see my knee in the swelling, and I thought, it's over. And then that night, England were playing in Australia. And they've won the New Year's Eve test. And it's the first time they've won in Australia for years and years. Mm. And my emotions watching that were all over the place. Mm. Part of me was, I was, I was crying. Part of me, well, that's a common theme these days, <laughs> but not, not then. I was watching it. I was thinking, you know what? I'm so pleased for them, lad. Strauss has done this. Yeah. But then in other ways, I had that thing. I, I should be there. Mm. I should be there. Were these operations under general anaesthetic? Yeah, I asked to be awake for one of them, but he wouldn't let me. I, I said... The one before that, this was my last operation was so I could walk with no pain. I wasn't trying to play cricket again, but the one before that, the microfracture, I said, Look, do me a favor, can I do it while I'm awake? Because I want you to tell you what I'm doing, I want to know my chances. And he said, Nah, he said, Because the positions I'm going to put you in, the surgeon he said, My dad's a builder, we do the same thing, but we use different tools. He said, It's just not pleasant. So I woke up and in a whole world of pain. How, how many general anesthetic operations did you have in your career? Oh, yeah. Um, close to 20? 15, 20? I loved That's... it, though. I loved the anaesthetic. One, two, I, I used, Oh, I used three, to... I, I do the anaesthetist in the end. I said, do us a favour, mate, just let it last a bit longer. <laughs> it was like, lovely. You ever been put to sleep, Matthew? 
long, long time. To be fair, you've put a few people to sleep on this one. Light and shade, this podcast. Light and shade. Can we just a quick one from both of you before we move on to the next topic? Advice. Robbie, you said you'd you'd talk to I think Luke Shaw, you said, yeah. and you're gonna you're gonna talk to Coleman. Freddie, you, you, what would you say if you if you just had one minute to talk to a young player who's got a long term injury and you're giving them some advice, what would it be? Do you know what? The one thing which I realized whilst I was going through this, the reason you put yourself through it and the reason that you come back from injury and the reason you put the hours on the rehab and you learn to walk again on your crutches and do everything because the one thing that you're trying to do is so good yeah it's the one thing for me playing cricket you know take family life out of it the, it was so good it was the one thing that i'd ever wanted to do and in some ways having gone through all that made you enjoy it even more mm. because you didn't take it for granted yeah. you'd known how hard yeah. you'd worked to get back on that field and second, third time round after an operation was even better than making your debut. It's like making your debut again. It is, so yeah, you're right. Just believe yeah. that you're going to come back and never take any minute for granted. While you're on that pitch, have a look around when you're playing. Take it all in. Yeah. Don't just move from one to the next because it's brilliant. It's the best years of your life. Rob? I agree that as for now, Ferris says that yeah. it's like a second debut. That, that when I come back from my broken leg, to be out in the training pitch was just amazing. To be able to go home at 12 o'clock was amazing. <laughs> 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 to stop swimming was amazing. You know, but you're right, you go through all those things and it's like a it's like a second mm. chance and it's a, it's it's brilliant. But you know the worst one was coming back from an ankle operation. I did the rehab, I did it all, and then I played a game at Kent. I'd lost two stone, I was in the nick of my life, and I'm thinking, here we go again, this is where it starts. Done it again. And it went again. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine that. Agonizing. I cannot Agonizing. imagine that. Well, look, oh. I thought that was fantastic. So interesting. I had no idea that you went through that many operations. I mean, general anaesthetic operations, that's serious. I mean, there's a risk attached to that. I mean, it's just it's bl- completely it's blown good. me away. And th- thanks for Still really- barking at the moon. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Topic number three. And I know, Fred, this has been yeah. on your mind over the past few weeks. We're talking leadership in sport. And life. What's your experience of good leaders, bad leaders? What does it take to be a great leader? Fred, take it away. Well, I, 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 was, I, I had my run as England captain and the performances and everything speak for itself. And I, It got me thinking that captains are one thing, but within dressing rooms, within life, you have leaders. I found my best position was like a right-hand man to the captain. Mm-hmm. Through performance, through attitude, I could lead in my own way. And you look at players and you look at people who've been out there. Who were the people that you look at and think, these are leaders of men? These are ones that you want to play with. You want to yep. be up there with them. When I know people in sport, it gets a bit over-egged when they say, who would you go to the trenches with? Well, I would go to the trenches with no one. I've got no interest <laughs> of being in a trench. All right? <laughs> Just put that out there. But who, who are the people who you look at and think, you know what, that is a leader of men? Robbie, who do you play with? Anyone like that? So a leader of... Men, um, I would say through his attitude, through his performance, yeah. just drags everyone with him. When um, the chips are down, that's the man you look forward to, or look to. You look forward if you want. Who was the my leader? Gary Speed. Gary Speed. Mm. Gary Speed. Um, great guy. You know, he would encourage you. He would tell, give you a rollicking when need be. Yep. You know, and because of his experience, because of his character. Everything he had about him was incredible, and obviously, still 
obviously devastating news when he he sadly you know lost his life. He was a good friend of mine, um, but his he was an inspiration to me as a youngster in that Welsh squad. And when I played against him as well, you know, I just wanted to to copy him because he was such a the team talks at half time amazing. So Gary Spee was a great leader of 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 of. You know some legends as well, by the way. Yep. Mark Hughes, you know Ian Rush, you know, but Gary Spee was was the captain. He was the leader. He was brilliant. Because for me, like I, I played under captains. I played under Nasser Hussein, who I didn't get on with. I played under Michael Vaughan, who's a very good captain. But then, huh? did you get on with him? Uh, yeah, we got on fine. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, he, he got the best out of me as a player, I suppose. But you look at people who lead within a dressing room. Darren Goff. Mm. Darren Goff. Yeah. I tell you what, this man. He's one of the funniest that you've ever wished to see, but he doesn't know he's doing it. <laughs> but through his personality, being in the dressing room, when Goffey was in the dressing room, you knew he was there. When you walked out onto a pitch, he was the one who said, give me that ball, yeah. and everyone would follow him. And I, I love being around people like that. I tried it myself. Yeah. You know, as a player, I, I was acutely aware towards the back end of my career that my mood had a very big effect on the dressing room. If I was up and up for it, I could take the team on. Yeah. If I wasn't, yeah. then I could bring the team down, which is a bit of a responsibility. So, did, did you? I mean, is that true in the dressing room? Because yeah. table tennis, even though we were in a team, it, it wasn't the same as cricket or football. We played as individuals as part of a team. But would people in a dressing room have a contagious effect yeah. on mood? Yeah. I was one of them because I was a leader of Captain Four Premier League sides and a big character, and I knew my mood could affect the change room. And I think yeah. if you ask the managers I played for and the players I played with, being me and the way I, you know, we train together every day now in the gym and, you know, there's leaders and there's, there's followers and you don't need the armband to be, a, to be a leader, to be a captain. There's so many characters out there. And in the dressing room, you know, I, my mood, I, I know going into a dressing room at nine o'clock in the morning, I could, I could, Manipulate that dress room into a certain way. If I was not in, how, the, how would you do? If I was not in the team. This is being honest. If I but, was but, not in the team, do you know you say you can manipulate the dressing room? Yeah. So you was aware of what you was doing? Yeah, I could. Yeah, because this is the more experience I had. If I was in the team and I was dropped, you know, I'd be there saying, "I can't believe that. What's he doing, manager? What an idiot? You know, look at him over there. How was he playing? Why is he in the team? What's he ever done in terms of the last three or four games? Mm-hmm. You know, and that would." start people talking and then if they liked me they'd go with me if they didn't they'd go against me so you could be quite a divisive influence very divisive yeah but uh, uh, listen the players who play with me I'd, I'd, I'd hope, think they'd hopefully say great lad yeah. great character okay I couldn't hide how I felt no I'm the same my mood I could people would know me if I was in, a, in if I was happy or not because I can't hide it if I was down everyone would know yeah and as simple as that, but great leaders. I was the same as captain. If if if, if we were struggling or had the ump with someone, I don't really have to tell them. I, 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 I would I would know that. That's where I fell short as a captain. Some people are cut out to be captains. Yeah, I wasn't. I'm, I'm quite happy about that. I had a go. It didn't work out for me. Michael Vaughan definitely was. Andrew Strauss. If you wanted to draw an England captain, you would draw Andrew Strauss. He's got everything about him. Alistair Cook, unbelievable. And hoping Joe Root's the same. Mm. What about leaders in life, in, in general then? Mm. What about leaders in general? Because I read books. Do you don't? No, what? yes I do. What? Was that the Caterpillar one? <laughs> Famous no, who, 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 who I, I read books. I've got one. I've got a great leader for you. <laughs> who would you say is a great leader in life? I've got one. Nelson Mandela. I have been on this island. <laughs> Oh, 25 years. 
But I think that goes back to what you were saying earlier. You want a leader who leads like by Trump. example. Donald Trump. You know what I mean? Donald, oh, Donald Trump. 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 No, you go on, Matthew. Do you rate him? Do you know, do you know what? I, I, you look at Donald Trump, right? And everyone's got this opinion. Now, to me, he's a man who he does talk some nonsense, but one of the greatest businessmen in the world. Mm-hmm. People have got fed up obviously, with politicians spinning this, that, and the other. Yep. He just says what he thinks. He's, he's done what he said he'd do. Yeah. And what makes me laugh, right, is all these Hollywood A-listers come on and they start whinging about him and doing this, that, and the other. It's just gone to show that nobody cares what you think. <laughs> just do your job as an actor or an actress and we'll come and pay £10 at the cinema to watch it. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump, he's doing his bit. He's doing what he said he'd do. But I probably wouldn't have voted for him. But what's the options, Hillary? I wouldn't have voted for her neither. So it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky one. He's the man in power. And you can harp on about it all you want. It's like, you, think we're mo- you think that the kind of the liberal Hollywood elite are moaning about somebody who actually got elected on a platform that he's now implementing? Yeah. But you do, would you agree that some of the stuff he's implementing, even though it was elected, it's, it's some of it's pretty questionable stuff? Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm not going to try and argue with some of his policies he's come up with. I, I don't think it's my kit position to do that or I can't vote for him because I'm, I'm English. However, it really fascinates me the fact that people get on their I.O. Yeah. so fast. Who's a great at? So, I've got a leader for you, yep. which is, well, inspirational. Remember a guy called L- Lieutenant Colonel Herbert Jones? From the Falklands? Correct. Mm. It, was, it was the Falklands War, it was the Battle of Goose Green, and this man, this L- Lieutenant Colonel, he led the charge. The Argentinians were were dug in. They were firing machine guns, automatic rifles. But this man, this man, yeah, he he got killed by taking one or two of them out, which saved hundreds of people from his team. That, for me, you know, is what a great leader he was. He he sacrificed himself as the leader of men, and he, he let hundreds survive by taking, you know, listen, taking the opposition out. So, Lieutenant I'll, Colonel Herbert Jones, what a legend. I'll tell you, here's one. Stanley McChrystal, General Stanley McChrystal, he led the task force in Iraq after the invasion in 2003. And the big problem, agree or disagree with the invasion of Iraq, the big problem is that al-Qaeda in Iraq were incredibly good at changing their tactics every day, the clothes they were wearing, the communication devices they were using, the kinds of explosions, explosive devices... And you've got this bigger military fighting force, the Americans, who can't get to grips with them because they're changing and mutating so fast. And the problem is, in the military often, you've got the big leaders, the commanders, who are supposed to have all of the understanding, you know, strategically brilliant. And the people on the ground are seeing this tactical change day by day. And because of the hierarchy in the army, they don't want to say anything to the general that might make him think that he's got something wrong. And so he's not hearing what he needs to hear if that makes sense. And because they have to go up the chain of command before getting permission to deploy against al-Qaeda forces, it's too slow. So this is a leader who said, you know what, I'm going to empower you. If you've got anything I need to hear and I don't understand it at the moment, you tell me. I don't mind. I'm humble enough to hear that information. Point one. Point two, I'm going to give you the authority to deploy against al-Qaeda targets if you want to. You don't have to come up and I'm going to trust your job. He empowered them. Everything changed at that point. The number of uh, commissions against al-Qaeda targets went from 18 to 300 a week, high proportion of time. So I think leadership... Network in sport? I genuinely... Well, 
I think sport is very different to the military, but my hunch is that great leaders are capable of empowering people. Rather than thinking of themselves as the big cheeses and telling people what to do, commanding control, you actually get people to step up. And you say, you know what, I'm humble enough to give you some power rather than wanting to have all of it for myself. So when that, when I was at the reason why I'm saying good leaders and, you know, sacrificing yourself for your team, that Derby side, 11 points, worst Premier League side ever, and then, it, you know, it got a little bit better. But I was the leader of, of, of that team. I was made captain. I was, I was brought in to change the dynamic, change, just keep us up. I couldn't do it. You know, and then I was left out the team. And then... You know, it all went wrong, but then I got back in the side and then we had a lot of young players and we were doing poorly. I think we lost to Scunthorpe at home and the pr- the press were on us. And I took, I stood there, took the criticism for the team. And I, as, as you should as captain, I want to protect the youngsters. Yep. But people don't think that. People just say, oh, look at him again in front of the cameras. Mm. But I was doing it every time for the youngsters in the team yep. to keep them away because... It was my responsibility leading them youngsters. I should have taken the burden, and it was. So, you know, people might not think that's the right thing to do, but I thought it was. Let me ask you. Let them hammer me. Yeah, yeah. No, not the, and, and not that's the... what, I mean, Ferguson yeah. always used to try and take the pressure off the players, didn't want to criticise them publicly. Let me just ask you in closing this. What is the most inspirational single bit of leadership you've ever witnessed in a dressing room, on the field of play? Somebody coming up to you, taking you by the shirt collars or whatever it happened to be. A brilliant speech. That really galvanised you. What was I, the... I used to love playing under Bumble, David Lloyd. He was brilliant. He was brilliant. He was, he was mental, <laughs> but amazing. Yeah. You know, he'd, he'd come in and the one thing which Bumble did as a coach was his passion. Yeah. His passion. I don't need to be told how to play a drive. I don't need to be told how to bowl a slower ball. He inspired a team. Hmm. You come in each day, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But I, I, I love that he came round when I was 14, 15 to sign me as a kid. He sat in the front room with mum and dad. They got the fancy teapot out and custard creams. And he's going round. He's saying, we want to sign Andrew on a three-year contract. He says, this is what you can earn at Lancashire. Mm. Michael Atherton gets 28 grand a year. And my mum and dad are rubbing their hands together. I'm thinking, yes, 28 grand. <laughs> Ian Austin earns 16 grand a year. I'm thinking, this is amazing. We're going to start Andrew off on two and a half grand a year. I'm thinking, this is brilliant. And then I went and he, when I played for England, what he did was he used to put videos up of players would get them made. You'd get like a video of all your best bits and you'd have this inspirational music and the next minute you're listening to Churchill, we'll fight them on the beaches. <laughs> and he's playing this in the dressing room. Really? And Bumble, oh, he's, he's just an amazing man. Brilliant. Statistically, probably not England's best ever coach. You know, technically, yeah, he was all right. Mm-hmm. But what he gave through passion and rubbing off on people, you just can't buy. What about Redgrave? I mean, has he never talked to you? Redgrave, oh, <laughs> the, the rower. I say, I say, he was very uninspiring, Duncan. <laughs> Duncan. Let's go. go on. Go on, let's get on with it. <laughs> well, I tell you what, Matthew. Yeah, I tell you what, I've got one, and this is true. This is the truest saying I've ever. Inspiration, I suppose. You know, we we referred to my father's letter, which you know was amazing. But my mum, my mum said to me. It's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Mm. And that is the main thing. That's inspirational for me. That's true. Yep. You know, it's nice to be important, but it's much more important to be nice, Andrew.
Guys, thanks as ever. Brilliant as usual. And thank you for listening. If you're hearing this on Five Live, you can download the podcast for an extended version of the show at the Five Live website and all the usual podcast providers. Please use the hashtag FredSavSide to get in touch with us through the week. If you can, leave a review on iTunes. A big thank you to everyone who's done that already. We'll be back next Monday, the same time. But for now, from all of us, goodbye. On digital and online. This is BBC Radio 5 Live. bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live.